everyone. I am your host, Alejandro Colindres. Welcome to Series 1 of the podcast, The Road to Champagne, 13 Tested Principles to Drive Your Career to Success. This podcast series will benefit professionals that have room for growth in their career, especially young professionals. We will explore one principle at a time. You can see the framework in the website, roadtochampagne.com. It has three parts, shape your mindset, build your brand, and be the driver. Today, we wrap up part three, be the driver, exploring principle number 13, learn from all leaders. Once you understand the power sources and increase your own power and influence and build a healthy network and become proactive in steering the wheel of the car you are in on your road to success, you are pretty much on a drive to your champagne. That is awesome. But there is one more thing. Professional car drivers are constantly monitoring learning from what's happening around them. The feel of the tires on the road, the car instruments, and the voices from the pit in their earpiece. You have to do the same. Learn from the free leadership lessons happening around you in a conference call or conference room near you. Learning from poor and excellent leaders will help you shape your leadership style. Wait, did I just say poor leaders? Yep, poor, weak, and horrible leaders teach us how not to be. They are anti-role models, but they expose you to the effects of such lousy leadership style so that you can learn to do the exact opposite. As your career takes you to new levels of responsibility, you will be put in positions where you are leading others. Remember the lessons you accumulated along your drive. Learning from all leaders seems obvious, right? But not everybody is constantly doing it. I believe there are several reasons why, including one, we believe you already know what it takes to be an admired leader. Two, we filter out those leaders we don't admire and dismiss the possibility of learning anything useful from them. And three, it takes attention and energy to be in learning mode. So what makes a leader excellent or lousy? In my experience, it directly depends on the level of emotional intelligence they are displaying. What I'm saying is continue building and solidifying your emotional intelligence. This is something I left for last, but it doesn't mean it will happen only after you have good maturity in the other 12 principles. Start working on this now and never stop. I'll give you a quick example of learning from a leader under the influence of tiny emotional intelligence. I had recently joined a company and did a round of meet and greets with 10 or so executives. The dynamic was pretty simple. I introduced myself and explained my background and what I was working on. They spoke about their background and I asked them for advice on being successful in the company since most of them had been there for many years. When we got to the advice part of the conversation, this one executive said, I only help those who help me. I was astonished at such self-centered response. Doesn't he know that if he bothered to give me two minutes of advice, I would naturally want to help him going forward over the years? He lost me right there, and I don't think I would lift a finger for that guy. But the lesson I learned is not to be an a-hole to more junior people asking me for advice. I am always happy to give advice to anyone interested in listening. When you are exposed to leaders leaving a bad taste, learn to do the opposite. This will make you a more effective leader that others want to follow. Those lessons increase your emotional intelligence. To help me dive into this topic, I am very excited to be joined by Maria Pinelli and Hinesh Shah. Maria was formerly Global Vice Chair at EY with a career spanning over three decades, including her last role as Consumer Products and Retail Leader. She has recently left EY and serves as a director in two public boards and advises several companies on strategic growth. Maria studied commerce and French at McMaster University in her home country, Canada, and is a certified CPA. 
Her scope is much broader than accounting, though. She is a business advisor to executives in the consumer products, retail, and technology industries. Hinesh is a vice president of sales for strategic accounts at Diageo North America, where he has held multiple senior cross-functional roles across strategy, sales, and finance. He is also an accountant like Maria, but this is pure coincidence. We won't talk accounting. Hinesh started his career in consumer products at the Walt Disney Company in London, his hometown. Hinesh has refined his leadership style, leveraging this principle. So we want to hear more about his journey. Maria, Hinesh, welcome to the Road to Champagne podcast. How are you? Fine. Thank you, Alejandro, for having us. Doing great, Alejandro. And thank you for inviting us. And we're excited about the session today. Well, thank you for joining me. I really appreciate it. So first question, what proportion of leaders have you encountered would you say are really inspiring and admirable? What sets them apart? I've been fortunate where I've been surrounded by great people I work with from a leadership standpoint, but also people in my personal life, in my community, mm -hmm. um, in my family, who's also had a very positive impact on me from a leadership um, standpoint. As it relates to your question, Alejandro, I think, you know, what separates exceptional leaders, in my opinion, are the ones that are really able to kind of share their vision. And they're able to do it by balancing clarity and simplicity on what their ambition is. Mm -hmm. And when they share it, their vision, their ambition, you can feel their passion for what they're trying to drive. But they also do it with a great sense of humility. Um, it's not about them. It's about us. The other characteristic that I would say that separates exceptional leaders are the ones that are decisive. Mm -hmm. They're prepared to make a decision with speed. They take calculated risks. They don't need to have all of the information and all the data, but it's the primary objective of moving the business forward in a positive way. So I'd say those are some of the things that I've encountered from uh, exceptional leaders. Great. Thank you, Hinesh. Maria, how about you? Well, listen, your question is interesting. Depends on the day I'm having, which <laughs> in itself tells you something. Perspective. It's your perspective on what is inspiring. But I think what's important to that point is an inspiring leader will help them be the best they can be. And Hinesh, I, I agree with so many of your comments. It's amazing to me just how similar we are in our view of an inspiring leader, which I hope perhaps will resonate with others, but it's not about self, it's about helping others. I also prefer a you know confident, decisive leader. At the end of the day, people are looking for someone to lead and rally to or against or for a common goal. So that ability yeah. to really rally a team for a common goal is important. But I do think there's also an opportunity to listen, to really be inquisitive, to be curious, and to really have your team feel that they are being heard, that they can contribute thoughts, ideas. I think the most important thing every day when people show up to work, they feel they contribute to the ultimate goal, to a team, to a purpose, and they really feel like they belong. And I think those are the the qualities that a good leader can bring out in a team and in individuals. Yes, very good point, guys. Like you just said, Maria, it kind of depends on how the team feels, right, about that leadership. Do they feel engaged? Do they feel part of a bigger vision? Do they feel empowered? Do they feel the leader cares about them? Not just you know the mission at hand, but how do they feel being part of that mission? So I think all those points that you mentioned will help create that perception, right, in the followers' minds. Yeah, uh 
do I really like this person Absolutely. or not? Absolutely. People, you know, smart people in particular, they want to be heard, they want to belong, and they want to feel like they have a voice and that their opinion matters, their well-being matters. And, you know, so often, you know, you get into situations where you're spoken to and not spoken with. And, um, and that really impacts your morale and your productivity. Now, you know, there are times you're going to agree to disagree. People need to be mature about that as well. You know, there are business decisions that are made that you're not always going to 100% agree with. As long as it's within the bounds of your values and your ethics and you feel you can live with that, I think professionally you can respect differences and still continue to have great relationships. I would agree, uh, Maria, with everything that yourself and Alejandra have shared. And I'm not sure which one of you used this word, but I think being empowered is fundamental. I think we all want to be empowered, but I'd go a little bit further. We all want to make a positive impact and positive contribution. And the leaders that create that environment for us to do that are the ones that I personally have kind of gravitated towards in my career so far. Excellent. Why do you think emotional intelligence is so important to our career growth? Goodness, if connecting with people isn't the most important skill you can have now more than ever. I don't know what is. I mean, it's just so important to really be able to understand, not sympathize. Sympathize is almost a, I feel sorry, but empathy really, it means you understand what the person is going through. And I, I think People find themselves in all kinds of situations now. The world is just changing so dramatically that it's it's really important to, to connect with people. And you can go fast alone, but to go far, you need others. And yeah. you need to bring people along with you. And you can't do that unless you connect with them. I would agree. And I think if you want to get to that next level, which I know some a lot of your listeners, Alejandro, are trying to make that journey. I go back to the word impact again. I think having that self-awareness allows you to understand the impact that you're making on others. Mm -hmm. And I think as a leader, as you're refining your skills, there might be, might be instances where you potentially need to tailor or modify your approach to ensure that you, know, you get the desired outcome in the most effective way and by empowering your people. So I think it's kind of how you feel, how they feel, but sometimes tailoring your approach um, to make sure that everybody is motivated and inspired to achieve what you want them to achieve. I quite like the way you frame that, Hinesh. I mean, to be self-aware, because to know yourself can only produce a better you. And the way you've, you frame that around the context of empathy is to really know yourself. And I, I suppose you can also analogize that to, do you find yourself in situations where you're more judgmental than, than you need to be or should be? Can you really put yourself in the other person's shoes without casting judgment or opinion to really try to understand where they're coming from as opposed to where you're coming from or what your context or what your origin is? You guys are reinforcing principle number six. <laughs> I love it. Uh -huh. And also principle 11. So number six is know yourself. And 11 is build your village, right? Maria said you, you can't do it alone. Yeah. But yeah, self-awareness is key. It's, it's one of the key components of emotional intelligence, right? You, can, you need to understand how you operate, how others perceive you, and then also how you interact you know, with other people, right? That social component. Absolutely. I agree. Absolutely. And yeah. being, you know, being the recipient of sometimes 
people who I felt have never truly understood me. You can get through the job, but boy, you can get a lot further for the goal if you're doing it with passion. Yeah. I'd actually take it even even a little bit further where you could have really good self-awareness and you're doing the right thing for that situation, but you're kind of losing your, what I think is your most important leadership quality, which is authenticity. So yes, it's about refining and tailoring your style and approach to different audiences, but you've got to have that authenticity and be true to your core values when you're delivering that. I completely agree, Hanesh. I think being authentic is so important. And Alejandro, I know you would agree with this as well. Oh, yeah. You've got to walk the talk. In fact, my pet peeve is people whose actions don't mirror what they say. People can see through that. You've really got to be true to yourself, true to your values, and true to what you're saying. It can't be lip service. And honest about who you are and what you stand for is really important. Absolutely. So let me start with Hinesh. Yeah. Hinesh, how has the ability to learn from others in general helped shape your leadership style? I would say immensely. I think I have always been fascinated by leaders. I think that started for me from a sporting perspective, to be honest with you, seeing some of the great sporting heroes and some of the leadership qualities that they had. And I think from a young age, you know, I was watching them. I was observing them. How did they train? How did they practice? How did they approach different situations? And I kind of really took that kind of philosophy with me into you know, my professional career. Uh, you know, and I've spent time observing different leaders on how do they approach different scenarios? How do they deliver the message? Uh, how do they analyze a problem? How do they, ans- uh, you know, inspire? Mm-hmm. You know, and also what we don't normally talk about with leaders, but how do they manage conflict and how do they really manage that tough conversation? I, throughout my career, have spent time thinking about how I can potentially tailor my style and my approach because I think to be a well-rounded leader. Like a well-rounded sportsman, you have to work on some of the areas you're not as strong at. And I think for me, it's been, you know, how do I really manage conflict and those tough conversations? And I've picked out some leaders that I admire, that I respect. How have they gone about that? What approach did they take? And I've tried to emulate that. But then as we talked about earlier, you know, how do I start with emulating them? But then how do I bring my own authenticity to that situation? Yeah. That has been, for me, has been the journey that I'm still on, learning from what other leaders do great, refine what they do, um, and make it true to me. Great insights. Thank you, Hinesh, for sharing. How about you, Maria? Yeah, I mean, that was well put, Hinesh. I mean, there's so much to learn on the subject of leadership. It's terrific that you've launched this book as a fantastic resource. And, and equally, it's wonderful to have learned and continue to learn from so many great leaders. I would say being curious and being a long life learner is something that I've always done. And it's changed over the years. It evolves. First, I was, you know, passionate about technical subjects, creativity, solving complex problems, you know, implementing sustainable change. But you you learn that the soft skills are just as important, if not more, as you are considered for leadership roles yourself. And you see some things you like. And again, it's from your own perspective, who you are and what you value. And then you'll see some things you don't like, which, which doesn't mean you don't learn from them. You know, and I've, I've learned a lot from various leaders. Some were very vulnerable 
and and shared. They were completely transparent. Others, not as much. It doesn't mean they didn't want to. Perhaps they weren't weren't in a position to. In some cases, I I learned how important it is to have direct conversations with people. I had a leader who once said, don't ever come to me and tell me your problems you're having with another peer or leader or coworker without speaking to them first. It's just not respectful. Mm-hmm. You, you wouldn't appreciate it being done to you. And I thought, well, that was interesting. And then what they did is also provide tools for teams to have these difficult conversations you referred to, Hanesh. And I'm bringing this up because you, you prompted me mm-hmm. with that. It reminded me that not only setting the culture, but also providing the tools and the framework and the operating agreement, the way you work together can really go a long way to bring a team along. I definitely would agree. And I think it's not only kind of observing, which I think is what your question kind of framed up, Alejandro, but I think not underestimating listening as well. I think just listening to leaders. Um, And again, I don't think that needs to be leaders that you work with in in your current work environment. Mm -hmm. We've got so many resources available to us, whether that's listening to this podcast, whether that's listening to speeches that are given that you can find on the internet, whether that's watching things on leaders. But I think don't underestimate the ability to listen and how impactful that can be on your own style when you're learning from people. Yes, for sure. I liked Maria's example of this leader telling her, hey, you know, don't come to me before you talk to others, right? Can you guys share a little bit more specifics, you know, some example of something that you learned directly from an inspiring leader that you embedded into your leadership style to this day? Maria, do you want to go? Well, okay, I'll give it a shot. It's endless what I've learned from great leaders. But I have to tell you, I had a situation where I learned something from my mother and what it built in me is the resilience gene. Because you need resiliency. Yeah. And to tell you the truth, it was around my career. I didn't know that I enjoyed it as much as I thought that I should have. And, you know, I was going to leave. I told everyone, you know, after my CPA, that's it. I'm done. I'm out of here. Don't even bother, you know, to put me with any big clients because I won't be there to finish the job. (laughs) But, you know, my mother said to me, don't sell the farm in the winter. And I think what she was trying to say to me is make a decision when you're clear, calm, you're in a place of perhaps more content and don't prejudge. You know, at that particular time, I found the work to be quite boring. And and also, I didn't actually advocate for myself. I didn't say, boy, this is really boring work. You know, can you move me to a new project? And all of that resulted in me changing my role uh, with the same company and into a 30-year-long career. Mm-hmm. And, and I think I learned something from that. And uh, I continue to, to follow that advice. There were, I can't say, you know, all 30 years were great, but they were good. Yeah. And so there were good days and bad days, and you, you have to take them in perspective. And I thought that was, that was good advice. Thank you for sharing that, Maria. That's good advice you just gave us, Maria. Um, <laughs> I, I have a couple of examples that, that come to mind, Alejandro. Ironically, one is from my parent as well, my father. My <laughs> father is probably one of the best leaders that I know. And one trait that I always think of him when I'm in a certain situation is his ability to be positive. And I can sometimes find myself feeling pressure, feeling strain, 
deadlines, under pressure, whatever yeah. it may be. But I think he had the ability to really laser focus on what is the most important thing, focus on that one thing and deliver it in a very positive way. I don't think I've got the gene because I'm still working on it, <laughs> but it's one thing that I admire from him and try and, and try and emulate every day. The second one is an example that happened very early in my career, and I was just actually blown away by this particular leader. You know, whenever you're delivering bad news or whenever you make a mistake, you're always cautious to raise your hand and tell someone that I've made a mistake. I'm not sure what to do. Very early in my career, um, a certain individual on the team had made a, a pretty large mistake. As, as you shared with Marie and I, we both worked in finance, so it had a big financial consequence. And I remember when that individual expressed and shared what had happened with the leader, the way they took the news was incredibly inspiring. They did not act with any emotion. They wanted to under, understand the facts. How did it happen? Why did it happen? And then they took kind of full accountability and own the outcome with their leaders or the mm. people that they reported into. Impressive. And I think seeing that was incredibly inspiring, as I said, giving you confidence that if you did make a mistake in the future, that person has created an environment of honesty and transparency. Listen, it wouldn't happen again, but if it did, you had the ability to go to them quickly um, so you could put plans in place to mitigate um, as quickly as possible. So those are two things that very different examples, but yeah. two things that stand out for me. Excellent. Excellent examples. But now let me flip the coin a little bit. Give us an experience with an anti-role model. What happened and what did you learn that stuck to this day? Oh, uh, Alejandro, you are really putting us on the spot <laughs> here. So um... <laughs> no names, no names. Keep it clean. Let me just say, I think there are two things that can kill the, the spirit of a team. And one is ego, and the second one is fear. So, you know, if you're working in a team and you think you have all the answers, how can you benefit from other answers, from the, from inclusivity, the diversity of thought? I mean, how do you get innovation? So if you're so full of self, how can you bring others along? So, you know, you have to check your ego. And to your point, Hanesh, I, I loved your advice on being positive. You need the resiliency gene. You need the optimist gene. But at the same time, you do need people in your team that are different than you. And I think fear, fear is equally important. Fear to, to lead your people in a new direction or really to have the courage and transparency that you need, you know, when times are tough or in good times, courage to share the wealth. You know, I'm not saying that in a positive light, but you did form the question a little negatively. <laughs> <laughs> and so, you know, I just think those two things have always sat with me as two things. They're both two extremes because fear can also lead to indecision. And I agree with Hanesh's comment that you need decisiveness and leadership. So I think those are the two things you need to be careful of. When you see them in others, you might recognize them and be aware of it and, and maybe help them through it. Yeah, Maria. And I just want to add that there's a cousin of fear that I would call insecurity that I've also seen in some leaders, right? And when they are insecure, they do the opposite of Hinesh's example of taking the bullet for the team. Exactly. Right? Instead... They are paranoid of the team making mistakes. And if the team makes a mistake, you know, they go crazy just because, you know, there is some insecurity there, right? Which is kind of related to fear, maybe. I'm not a psychologist, but I think there's, there's some parallel right, there. Right, right. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Going back to your question a little bit in terms of advice to, to some of the listeners, 
I think I would say we all want to be in an environment where it's a good experience um, and we're surrounded by great leaders. But I think actually, I always say you learn the most when business is really tough. And I think that is all equally when you're working with some tough leaders. And I think, you know, the anti-leader experiences kind of teach you the type of leader you don't want to be because you can start to see the impact that it's having on you personally. I also don't think it's the intention for anybody to be an anti-leader. I think it goes back to this notion of self-awareness and being aware of how their actions are impacting those around them. But I think using another one of Maria's words, it's having that confidence or awareness to modify your approach going forward and not being stuck in your ways um, and needing to evolve because that's what the people around you need um, and are looking at at you for. If you're in a situation where you're with what we're calling an anti-leader, I would say, you know, look at the positive elements of that. How are you feeling when that particular leader is um, making you feel negative? Why are they doing that? And as you kind of go through your own journey um, and you will get there one day, how do you take that experience and how can that help mold you to become a more well-rounded leader for yourself? Excellent. So each of our audience members is on their journey to success, trying to get to their champagne Very briefly, what is the main thing you want our audience to remember when they think about why they should learn from all leaders? Listen and observe, fundamental. Whatever your style is, I almost think of it like the body, right? Your left hand is maybe your influencing style. Your right arm is your negotiation. But the most important part of the body is the heart. And the heart is where that authenticity lives. So whatever style you wish to adopt, whatever leader you want to be, whatever leader you admire, um, it needs to come back and it needs to be authentic to you and who you are, which is grounded in your own personal values and norms. And the third thing I would say is practice. We're all on a leadership journey. Uh, I don't care if you're two years in or if you're 30 years in, we're all on a journey to become more refined leaders. So be patient with yourself as well. Um, It takes time. It takes practice. But if you're authentic, you listen and observe, everybody's got the ability to be a great leader. There's really not much more to add to that. Just so eloquently said, I think that was fabulous advice, Hanesh, which I will take to heart. Awesome. Very insightful advice from both of you. I really enjoyed talking to you guys. Maria Pinelli and Hinesh Shaw, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Alejandro. For sure. That was fun, Alejandro. We could have gone on for another hour. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. You can follow Maria and Hinesh via LinkedIn. Remember, everybody, you can and must take action to start unlocking the power of this principle in your life. Formal leadership courses are great, but expensive. These are free lessons. Don't waste them. All leaders around me were highly intelligent. The key variable that made them awesome was their emotional intelligence. One or few lapses of weak emotional intelligence is enough to land you in somebody's blacklist and damage your professional brand. The knowledge you extract from those free lessons around you will make you a better leader and driver every day, ensuring that you make it to your champagne and the next one. With this episode, we have now explored each of the 13 principles. I really hope you enjoyed each podcast, but most importantly, that you reflected on what principles need more attention in your life so that you can be driving a fast race car that's firing on all cylinders. I will have a recap of the 13 principles that I am inviting you to listen to. Consider it a bonus episode. It has been fun, people, and I will see you again in Series 2.
Cheers to your success on your road to champagne. Please don't forget to visit roadtochampagne.com and join our mailing list to download the framework we are using. If you like this episode, please share it with your friends, colleagues, and classmates. Send your comments via the website's contact page and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Follow Road to Champagne on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and LinkedIn.